Hello! Happy Friends Day! It's 14th of February. Yeah, which is Valentine in most of the world, but in Finland it's called Ystävänpäivä, which yes. means Friends Day. Yes. That's, I think that's really nice. It's not just about... Uh, your loved one. Yeah. Yeah, it's about... Yeah, because you love your friends, right? Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. your close relationships are a really important part of your happiness. Yeah. So, and esp- especially uh, close friendships let let you <clears throat> let you go through your the hard times of your PhD. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's really important. Yes. And okay. also in the space news, what happened last week? There was yeah. this very interesting Falcon Heavy launch. So you you wake up and you see the news, um, a car just cruising the solar system, and it's not photoshopped, it's real. Yeah, like that, that, that picture was like so wow. It was amazing. You can see Earth just reflected on the on the hood of the car. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, a lot of people are talking about, are we throwing trash into space? But just the fact that this could be done with the amount of money and all of that, it's just so cool. I mean, I think that's that's what makes it so cool that it can be done, you know. And I really much like that they were playing David Bowie during yeah, the launch. <laughs> I mean, everything is just such a cool thing. You can't. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It yeah, it, it it was a great show. Definitely yeah, yeah. a great show. But now stop talking. Let's stop talking about about the latest news and let's go straight to our guest. Yes. This time we have Friederike German. Uh, who is a PhD student in plant biology from the Organismal and Evolutionary Biology Research Program at the University of Helsinki. And what she studies is how subarctic plants are affected by differences in snowmelt timing. So welcome, Frederica. Welcome. Hello, thank you. So do you want to talk uh, to us a bit about what you do, like in a very general, in very general terms? Okay, yeah, sure. Um, I always liked the north, which is why I stayed in Finland, but then I wanted to go even further north. So I went to Kyrpysjärvi Biological Station, uh, which is above the Arctic Circle in northern Finland. And I looked at the plants there and I was thinking, well, it's kind of cold up here. So how do the plants deal with that kind of weather? And uh, of course, there's also a lot of snow in, in Finnish Lapland. But when you look on the mountainside, the snow melts at completely different times during the spring. So it could melt in May and then in other places it only melts in July. And what I study is how the plants cope with these natural differences in snow melt timing. So since you're talking about mountains, of course, you, you, are, you are talking mostly about Norway or like in, in or Finnish mountains. Yeah, mean, Finnish, Finnish mountains. mountains. Oh, yeah. Finnish mountains. Which small, are... very small Finnish <laughs> mountains. You can actually see from my field side on the mountain, you can see the very big Norwegian mountains just across the, the border. country border. Oh. So yeah, it's a small mountain. What causes uh, one, I mean, if you're talking about that specific area, what would cause the snow to melt in May and then two months later melt somewhere else? This is just because of the topography or the surface of the mountain. It's not completely even. It's not like a flat surface. There's like some higher areas or maybe some rocks sticking out and then some depressions in the landscape. And of course, if there's some higher areas, the wind the wind just removes all the snow. And if there's some depressions, like little valleys on the mountain slope, the snow accumulates. And if you have uh, a thicker snow cover, it just melts later because it takes more time to melt. What kind... So these plants are under the snow, of course. Yeah. But they are still surviving during the winter. Yeah, they actually need the snow to survive because the temperatures there in winter get so so cold 
and it gets really windy and there can be like ice even in the air. So the plants need the snow cover for protection, actually. Oh, that's super interesting. And we, which kind? So which kind of plants are you dealing with? Um, I am specifically studying plants above the tree line, so very very small plants. And uh, I look at uh, the ones that have uh, woody stems, so they're like mini dwarf shrubs. So above the tree line, uh, can you explain a bit about the tree line? Um, so the tree line in that area is actually both considered to be an alpine tree line, so it is formed because we are on a higher elevation on the mountain, but it is also a kind of subarctic tree line because we are so far north that the trees just start stop growing at a certain height on the mountain. So this tree line is like a border of where just trees stop growing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you mentioned that you would look at, that you're looking at small shrubs. I read somewhere that this the size of the plant is actually part of their survival mechanisms. So because of the winds, and you were talking about the icy ice. And yeah, exactly. So of course, when they're really small, they can be covered by the snow very easily, and uh, there's also less wind right uh, next to the surface of the soil, and um, they might be able to keep a warmer temperature between. Um, between their stems and leaves because they're so low to the ground. So they conserve some of the of the heat actually that they would get from the sun or from the soil. Oh, can I talk, how about the flowers? Do you have flowers? What kind of, what kind of flowers are there, um, colors? Yeah, they're, they're actually one of the field sites is quite special for Finland because it is a very nutrient rich soil. So usually these Arctic soils are very poor in nutrients because it's so cold that not a lot of nutrients get released. But the mountain where I'm studying the plants has a lot of calcium-rich rock underneath. And this is a good nutrient for the plants. So one of the mountain slopes has a lot of different flowers and, well, all sorts of colors, really. White and pink and yellow. Yeah. So it gets very colorful in the summer. But So these plants must have a very high range of temperatures in which they thrive. Do they, do they change their, their life conditions, like how they, how, like their life cycle between winter and summer? Um, not really, but um, it depends on the plants. So some of them are able to live in a variety of conditions. So there's, for example, blueberry, which you know also grows here in Helsinki, but it also grows there in the subarctic where you can get, I don't know, minus 30 degrees in the winter. And the reason it can grow there is because it's protected by the snow cover when the temperatures are so cold. But then there are some other species which can't live in warmer temperatures. So you would only find them there on the mountain slope in the subarctic and not, for example, in southern Finland. Uh, I, I actually have a tom, like it was there when I moved to my, to my house. Uh, there is uh, a pot with uh, rhubarb. And what is uh, fun... Uh, or at least I, I hope it's rhubarb. What is fun is that during the... I didn't know that there was this plant because during the winter there was nothing under the soil. And then every summer the yeah. the plant grows again. And then in winter it, it again... like It looks like it dies, but then it yeah, actually exactly. doesn't. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's actually another strategy. So some plants might survive under the snow and some of them just survive under the soil. Mm -hmm. So all the leaves, everything you can see just dies off. And then when the temperatures are nice and cozy in the spring, they come up again. They blossom again. Oh, yeah. like, they rise again like phoenix. Like a phoenix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so is it some sort of hibernation style? Yeah. They're, they're yeah. yeah. Or, at, or at least, yeah, the, the, the upper part goes... Well, actually, you have to be careful when you... Of course, 
plants uh, also some plants kind of hibernate or we call it uh, dormancy in plant sciences mm -hmm. so for example all the trees in southern finland they also don't grow really in the winter but you currently we're kind of investigating uh, what the plants under the snow are doing because um, the snow keeps them at about zero degrees and then they conserve a bit more heat um, under the snow cover there's also a lot of moisture and a lot of co2 under the snow and that's actually perfect conditions for plants to grow it's not uh, below freezing they have moisture and a little bit of light even penetrates through the snow so uh, some of them like the evergreen plants which keeps keep their leaves during the winter they can actually still do some photosynthesis and make some nutrients for themselves during the winter okay. so it's actually not clear if all the plants are really that dormant or hibernating as we thought previously during the winter mm -hmm. oh I, i would have never thought that being under the snow still keeps you at zero uh, degrees yeah it's a snow is a really good insulator because there's so much so many like air pockets in between and so on so yeah, yeah. That, that, that sounds it's like a nice blanket <laughs> a nice and, white blanket yeah do you also so so there's is there tundra where you're where yeah you're yeah it's called the tundra yeah so there's um some sort of permanently frozen level of soil at some depth or um not uh not where i study so not not all tundra is permanently frozen actually and in finland we we don't have any permanently frozen tundra as far as i know we just have some that is frozen maybe during the spring and then in the summer it will melt out okay yeah so tundra is how do you find that biome uh it depends a bit who you ask i think so basically it's a treeless uh ecosystem of the north but also uh well north south and high high altitudes like high mountain sites so yeah in general i would say where there are no more trees growing where conditions are not good enough for trees to grow Actually, in 2016, I was in summer, I went to Greenland. And mm. I think the, 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 the most striking thing was I landed and you see this rocky landscape and there's no trees. And it's just weird. Oh, yeah, it is. It's just weird. Yeah, it feels like something is missing. Yeah, <laughs> but they were really beautiful plants. I remember there was this flower that looked like a, a bit like a dandelion, but it was very furry. It was like a furry <laughs> dandelion. It was really beautiful. It's, oh. I've never seen that before. It was, yeah, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, but when where when you have like that that little of um, plants somewhere, I always wonder like how can animals react? Like you know the herbivore animals, how do they get their their food? Since, since well, I've seen a lot of reindeer in Cape Verde. They seem to be happy there, so <laughs> they still find something edible. Maybe they just eat uh, blueberries. Maybe <laughs> sounds like a good diet. Um. Um. So. Of course, you have. I assume you have done uh, a lot of field work, so to the Arctic. Yeah. And also, you have been at Svalbard. Yeah. Uh, lately, uh, but what kind of um, work you do when you are in Helsinki? Uh, in Helsinki, I just uh, sit on my computer and analyze my data that I collected during the summer. So I look at um, the measurements I took during the summer and see if I can find any um, relationships between what the plants are doing and how their environment is changing. Okay. How do you, what is it that you're looking at specifically? Uh, I look specifically at um, differences in the timing of snowmelt on the mountain slope and how it affects um, the timing of the life cycle, life cycle stages in the plants. So the life cycle stages, or we call them phenophases, are, for example, the bud burst and the leaf unfolding, the flower opening, the fruit development. So all these kind of 
stages in the development of the plant, they happen at a certain time during the summer. And I want to know how does this timing of snowmelt affect the time at which these life cycle stages begin in oh, the summer. It's really uh, like a very visual, I just got a really visual image of like this life cycle of the, of the yeah, plant. Yeah, and it, it is very visual because all I did was go and watch the plant grow every summer and <laughs> see what they were doing. Each time I took a note of what they looked like. Okay, this one has a flower. Okay, this one has a leaf. And so that's how you measure the time. Yeah, like exactly. And then I just write down the date on which I see a new development. Oh, and it's very important because uh, the plant growth is very fragile. So once they start growing, they're out of this dormant phase and they've activated all their growth mechanisms. And if they then experience any bad conditions, for example, you can have a late spring frost because we're so high up north, um, then they would have a real problem because all their sensitive growth stages, for example, their opening buds could just die off. So it's very important for them to time it exactly. And on the other hand, the season is so short, like the autumn starts in the end of August. So if you start growing too late, you don't have enough time to complete your growth stages and make any flowers, for example. Yeah. Can I ask you about your methods, though? Because, for example, you know, in physics, you're looking more, you have an instrument and it gives you all this bunch of data and numbers. But if you're observing, so do you, how many plants do you look at? How, if they start opening, did you just say, if one starts opening, then you, this is this is an opening stage or... Do you have to count how many how many flowers you're doing? How do you know which one is maybe just abnormal? Like all of this stuff. I think the main thing is to have a consistent system for yourself. Of course, the idea would be that all the plant scientists would use the exact same system, but that rarely happens. So it might be a bit difficult to compare different methods. But for me, I just defined the stages myself. So I decided that, okay, the first stage will be when I can see that the bud is green. So I look at the plant bud and I have a look and if it's green, I write down the date on which I saw the first little bit of green on the bud. And uh, it's a bit of a problem when you work with several people because how do you know that everyone sees the same amount of green or the same green? And even if it's, for example, a bright sunny day, maybe you see the green a bit less than on a dark cloudy day. So I try to kind of uh, go through with my field assistants, go through the different stages and look at the plants and calibrate with them that they see the same thing that I see but it's not as exactly as using uh, some kind of measurements for example. But uh, have you ever taken time lapse of a, of, the, of a plant during mm -hmm. the entire summer? I haven't no I don't have these cameras for that. That would be very cool. Yeah yeah I've seen it I've seen it uh, some short time lapse of how plants kind of turn towards the sunlight as the sun is shining mm -hmm. in the day yeah. so Yeah, it's really nice. And I was thinking about it because it would save me a lot of field work. <laughs> if I can just put up the cameras and they do the work for me. <laughs> and I mean, what we're actually trying to do is, for example, use this um, satellite data that collects data on how much uh, green light is visible on the surface of the soil or the earth. Um, and that shows us also the progression of the season, because at first there's no green in the spring, and then we get a little bit more green, a little bit darker green, and then we get to the autumn colors. But the satellites can only take data on the scale of maybe kilometers or something. Mm -hmm, yeah. And uh, that sometimes misses out some small details. So what plant biologists are now trying to do is combine the field data, which is very small scale, but maybe um, not always very exact and, of course, very time intensive with these large scale satellite data. And then we also have some exact number measurements that we can get from the satellite data. Oh, that, that's super interesting. Yeah. So combining, combining observations yeah. from, from various points. Yeah. yeah. 
But I think this time lapse, I think it would be, you know, you set up your camera and then, and then you... Yeah, you just need a lot of cameras that are weather resistant. Sure. Well, you can maybe... With good batteries yeah. <laughs> that need maintaining yeah. and you need the money for it. Yeah. But yeah. then you can also check it remotely. Yeah. But why? Then you would then would then you would skip the super fun of, of the field trip. Yeah, that's true actually. I mean I kind of at the end of the field season I'm always really tired, but then a few months later I already think about the next season and feel like, hmm, I could start to get going again. <laughs> so you you've been up to now to finish Lapland and Svalbard? Yeah. Right? So differences? Have you found any differences between the two environments? Yeah, I mean Svalbard is still a bit more extreme. Svalbard is a high Arctic and Finnish Lapland is a sub-Arctic. So there's still some trees up to a certain level in uh, Finland. And uh, in Svalbard there are no trees at all. The growing season is even shorter. The summer temperature is actually fairly similar because it's on an island. So it has a bit milder temperatures than what you would expect from the Arctic. And uh, But some of the plant species are similar. Yeah. And there, and there are polar bears. On and there are polar bears, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit, uh, the fieldwork is a bit more uh, of a hustle because, for example, you're not allowed to do it alone because there could literally be a polar bear walking up to your field site. Did you have to have a rifle with you? Yeah, we had to have a rifle. We had to have shooting training uh, to protect ourselves in the worst case scenario. And we couldn't go out. We had a few very um, foggy days. And we had to cancel the field work then because the visibility was too low that you wouldn't see if there was a polar bear coming up. Wow. Wow. That's a different field work from what I do. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit it's a bit more extreme. But it's also a bit dangerous because you, you never you usually don't see one, or I didn't see one during my field work. And then you kind of get used to it and I think it's important to keep reminding yourself that there could be one coming up. <laughs> I just really hope that they don't get shot too much. Yeah, I think it's very, very seldom seldom that they do. They usually, I mean, there's uh, flares first that you would shoot or actually the first thing you would do is get out of the way. If you're if it's far enough away, you just leave the place. Mm -hmm. And then there's flares to scare them away. And I think the shooting is only really in self-defense if it comes charging at you. And Svalbard is a particular place because not you don't you can't just go there. Do you have to have some sort of reason specific reason to get to Svalbard? um you can't live there without having a job okay but i mean anyone can visit as a tourist but for the research for example you need a permit from the governor so the research project would be registered somewhere and what you're going to do is register somewhere exactly and if you pick any plans for research that's exactly written down somewhere so yeah it's a bit stricter than other places and another question about this um, plants. Do you have uh, predators that are eating your plants? Predators? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Don't steal my plants. Very, very, very vicious reindeers that absolutely love to eat uh, little subarctic plants. But um, I don't know. I haven't seen too many plants gone missing. So I think it's okay. They're a bit afraid of the sticks I put in the soil to mark my plots. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, and we've had some very vicious uh, lemmings in Kipisiavi one year. So lemmings, they look a bit like small guinea pigs, uh, some little rodents, and uh, they're very, very territorial. So one time I had one who made his territory next to my plot, and it really <laughs> screamed at me and showed its teeth. 
even though it's a few hundred times smaller than me. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> but uh, it was very it was very scary for about five seconds, and it was cute. <laughs> yeah. And just this last question. Um, so we see that the Arctic regions or yeah high latitudes are seeing climate change happen quickest and the biggest uh, changes so how would that be affecting your plants and for example the shift in tree line or things like this or uh, you know the snow depth depth um, wet versus snow all this kind of um, it's yeah it's very difficult to say because it depends very much on the plant species. We see, for example, an advance in uh, shrubs from our southern climates coming up to the north because it's getting warmer in the north. So southern species which need warmer climates can come up north. The question is, I guess, what do the plants do that are already at their cold limit uh, in the cold areas and that need the cold temperatures? And I guess that's what we're trying to find out. And that's why I study also these natural systems, because I see that there are already differences, for example, in snowmelt timing and in temperature on a very small spatial scale um, for the plants which live there now. So if they can deal now with these differences in the environment, I wonder maybe they'll be okay if, or some of them will be okay if the climate changes because there will be still some areas that are a little bit colder than others or where the snow melts a little bit later than others. Um, But yeah, it's hard to say how the whole system changes. I mean, we have to really combine a lot of research to, to know that. Okay, thank you very much, Frederike. The um, this this introductory introductory part was really interesting. But now time for category. Stephanie, tell us the categories for today. Okay, so today's game we have to include SpaceX news. I mean, it, it just has to be in yeah, there. Yeah. So <laughs> you know that the um, the t- Tesla's roaster the the dashboard had this "Don't panic" sign. So the first. Uh, category for the category game <laughs> is alternative phrases for the don't panic. So we have to find what else could we. But like you that. mean like uh, alternative motivational quotes or like just stuff that you would put on your yeah, own. Yeah, if, 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 if it was like not Elon Musk's, but yeah, my cars, what would you write there instead oh. of don't panic? You know? Oh, nice. I don't know if don't panic is that motivational. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the second, uh, yeah, the second category is. Things that can go wrong in, during field work. So we heard a lot about Frederica's field work. Um, things that can go wrong, like falling into a crevasse in the icy <laughs> landscapes. The third is name of a plant, of course. The fourth, what to pack if you go to the Arctic. And the fifth is names of scientists. Okay. So we, 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 we come from three different fields. So maybe we, we managed to, manage to, to, to feel names of scientists uh, combining our three fields. So, Frederike, you can generate a random letter okay. and we have to find um, a word for each of them with that with that letter. Let's see. We have oh, wow. Z. Z. Oh, Z. Great. No. Wow. Well, um, I read on Oh, I, name, I know a name of a plant. Can wait, we use uh, Latin? <laughs> sure. Wait. First of all, oh. we will have two minutes to do this. Okay. So, we have to find uh, names for the category okay. with uh, for each category with Frederica's the numbers. Really excited. She's excited. I know a name of a plant. Yeah. I, I like that you, li- that you have one, but we have to start the timer, which and starts three, two, one, now. Okay. Can we use so, Latin plant names? Sure. Okay, Go there's Zea Mace, which is just Mace. Or sweet corn. Oh, wow. Oh. It starts with Z. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sweet corn that you're eating. I think, uh, I guess with Latin names, you can find Z words. Things that can go wrong during field work, oh zoological problems. Like infestation. 
What? Zoological. <laughs> yeah, you know animals doing stuff. Um, Zoological. That's doing stuff. <laughs> How about uh, for, uh, what about the zoonosis? Isn't that like a disease that can spread from animals to humans? Or oh, am wow. I completely oh. wrong? I'm not sure. Wait, uh, it's a word. It's a word, but I don't know exactly what it means. Let's put zoonosis, um, and I will. Okay. And I will look it up. We can we can check it later. I think yes. it's a a disease that can spread between animals and people. Okay. What well, do you pack would... if you go to the Arctic? Um, oh my God, What's that? It's quite zipper. Is it zipper? zipper. Another zipper? No, Just no. like a zipper on its own. I don't know if that would be no, very what's useful. The, what's the name of that? Is it called Zippo? Yeah, uh, that lighter that turns that, that turns on also when there is very heavy wind. Oh, oh really? Or like very cold. Zippo? I think it's well, called that would Zippo. be very appropriate. Uh, yeah, it would be. Zippo. That would be very good. And I just confirmed, yes, zoonosis is indeed a disease that can be transmitted oh, to great. humans from animals. Oh, wow. So what would we put in Tesla's car? Ziggy Stardust was also a, spy, a, a star man. Oh, oh. wow. <laughs> That's very long. Okay. What? Say again. Ziggy Stardust was also a star man. So, Ellen, if you're listening for the next car. Yeah, and your, your next... Your next oh, was uh, it was also a star man. Uh, your your next guy could could be called Ziggy Stardust instead of instead of Starman. Very cool. Uh, so, really oh, how about a name for scientist? Um, Zed. Ziegler? Oh, oh, no, scientist. Well, my, my field someone? assistant was called Ziegler. <laughs> Does that count? He's like half a scientist at least. Okay. <laughs> so, that... That's... And we're over. Oh, names of scientists. No, I wouldn't have found one. Probably, yeah. I don't know. But Led we were... Zeppelin. <laughs> Zeppelin. <laughs> Such a Z. No, we, okay. we, we okay. did we did well. Considering it was a Z. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's good. quite good. It was good. It yeah. was good. Okay. So and this... now we know that we have this zoo zoonosis. Zoonosis. Okay. So, so it yeah. can go wrong if you if you work with animals and then you just get a disease. I guess so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Next letter. Generate. Coming up. V. V. You're in the end of the alphabet here. Right. <laughs> v. And Starting three, two, one. No. Name of a plant, violets. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that you. Always That's what the violets. <laughs> yes. It's always the violets. Yes. Uh, um. Names of scientists. If you remember from the episode with Urs where we talked about about space, Vlasov. Yes. So this awesome. Russian scientist that solved one one that brought brought the, I mean yeah one one plasma equation. I don't remember the first name, but it certainly was Blasov. Yes. So what about mm. the Arctic, or how can um, your fieldwork go wrong? Let's um, see. Violent storm that destroys all your plants. That could go, that could go, go wrong. wrong. Yeah. Violent storm. Yeah. And what to pack? What to pack? Um, a vest? Was that like a something? A vest. Safety vest, <laughs> maybe best for safety. Best for safety. <laughs> best for safety. Uh, um, um, well, I, I, I'm thinking about the the Tesla roaster. I want to find alternative phrases to to all my to all my cars. Yes, yes. So, so that when I will have three cars, I will send all these three messages that we that we developed today to one to space. No, actually, what do we miss? Oh, what to pack, what to pack for the, the Arctic and what to put on Tesla's roadster? Um, vitamins to the Arctic because there's no sun. Yeah, vitamin, 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 vitamin D. Vitamin D. Vitamin D. Yes. Let's pack that. Oh my <laughs> yeah. God. Lots of vitamin D. Okay. Yes. 
Yeah, because mm. we don't have sun. Yes. Uh, I mean, if we are in the winter. I mean, we do that in Helsinki, so, so for sure. Yeah, we, we assume yeah. we are going to the Arctic. I think even in Helsinki, they recommend from September to March you should take it. So Yeah, I yeah. take them. I'm maybe. still taking them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. So now, alternative phrases. Okay. Um, for that dashboard. Victory to the stars. No. <laughs> victory. Victor. Victor. Victory to... Why not? Just victor. Victory to the stars. <laughs> okay. I actually tweeted to, um, you know, while well, I was tweeting the news and then I sort of Ad. tagged uh, yeah. Yeah, Elon Musk and I was asking for a quicker and environmentally friendly transatlantic flights. Oh, yeah. I've seen that tweet. Yeah. Because, you know, we're like getting reaching places outside, you know, in the solar system, but we still, it takes me 18 hours to get to Mexico. It <laughs> <laughs> should be faster. And it's very polluting. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I think the pollution will be a problem for a while. Yeah, although, yeah, people, yeah, companies are working on it, but still. Okay. Okay, so the last, last, uh, round. last one. We found We're on a roll. We found everything for yes. this round. Anna V was a, was a lucky one. M. 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 Okay, I like M. M we never, we never got such, a, such an okay, interesting letter. Um, oh, I got a plant. Yes, okay. go on. And start. Started. Marigold. Yes. I don't know what that is. It's a... Flower. Mango. Ma well, that's mango. Mango fruit. fruit. Mango, mango, tree. mango tree. Okay. We have two. That's good. Uh, scientist Ma Mendel. Yes. Oh, you know Mendel. the one, the guy. Mendel. Yes. Who did the basic genetics. Yeah. With plants. With peas. Yeah. With, yeah. But with it's pea plants. plants. Yeah. So he's a friend Very of yours. Very relevant one. Yeah. He's a friend of yours. Um, things things that can go wrong. wrong. My computer exploded. No, <laughs> that's <laughs> unlikely. Measurements get erased. Ooh, measurements. Yes. Okay. Measurements lost. Or yeah, something. measurements oh. lost. Okay. So I mean, you 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 lost you, you lose all your data. Imagine you're in a field field work which takes time. Yeah. It takes planning. It takes money, and then suddenly your data is gone. Yeah. Maybe yeah, you're writing all your data on a piece of paper, and then exactly. What, and then I was so week. worried. I was so worried. I had my measurements on notebooks and some days were so windy that I held onto my notebook so tightly because exactly. I was worried the wind would just like flow it off the mountain. See, the other the other one category we had was violent storm could take away yeah. your measurements. There's definitely no, more weather related or, problems. Or, 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 or the, the little quinea pig could just oh, eat yeah, it. The the <laughs> oh, I know what to pack for the Arctic, like a mask, like a face mask oh, to right. protect your face. Oh, right. yes. If it gets oh super my God. cold, we only have, we only have okay. the alternative phrase right for the car. Mind your own business. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's looking at him no, right now. I have one. I have one which is super okay. cool. My car is better than yours. Oh, <laughs> that's cool. Yes, that's it. That's true. And we did it. I think only he can say that though. What? Yeah, he, about he, that yeah, car. Yeah. Elon can say that. Yeah. Oh, we've have, we've got all of them, and the time is not even and up the, yet. Yeah, how many seconds do we have? Like five. five. Okay. So now cool. we will just stop. Great. Oh my god, this was this was so so great, so great of a round. I said that M would have been a, a yeah, good. Yeah, it's good, a good one. It was rolling well. And talking about this mask, um, have you worn those spiky shoes? I, I think they have a name. The ones that have a blade so that you can walk around um, the ice. Not the shoes themselves, but you can just buy the spikes or crampons crampon. themselves. Crampons are yeah. like the super heavy duty ones. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I have. And sometimes you really need them. We did field work in Svalbard and there was like an ice layer on the, like on the ground. And it was so slippery that the teacher was the only one with crampons because it was our first day and we didn't know. 
she had to walk us across one by one because the oh. wind would just make us skate on the ice oh, on, wow. involuntarily. Violence. So violence storms. Yeah. Violence storms. And I, 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 you've talked to me about this before. You, you went into some sort of ice tunnel where yeah. you had to crawl in. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, well, it was like a slide down a tunnel under the glacier, and um, we had like headlamps so you could kind of see the the corridors. There was only one way to go. And it was like a natural ice cave that just forms naturally under the glacier in this, or is there every year. So you can only go in winter when the conditions are safe and the like snow and ice is really solid. And yeah, you can just walk around on the glacier. I mean, it's not for anyone who's claustrophobic, so I was kind of at my limit, uh, but it's very interesting. Wow. What's the sound like when you're in there? Oh, I don't remember, I guess. <laughs> I probably just heard my own heartbeat, to be honest. I was really... My heart was beating really fast because it was so kind of cramped and you knew you were stuck under the ice. Hey, you see, in that case, don't panic would have been a good motivation on sentence. Yeah, that yeah, was that's that's basically true. what I was telling myself the whole time. <laughs> don't panic. It's okay. Do you know how much ice was on top of you? No, I don't know. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I didn't want to know. Yeah. No, probably not in case it comes crashing down. Cool. Oh, thank you very much. It was super fun and we did great for the game. Thanks for and having me. Yeah. And now time for the science anecdote. Yes. And we were looking for an anecdote that would have merged plants and especially plants that can live in harsh conditions like the plants that you, Frederica, study. Plus some space stuff because we're all super excited about this, this um, Falcon Heavy launch. So... We found a great story about superhero space plants. <laughs> that sounds really exciting. <laughs> uh, which is a study that was done in 2005, so it's not that new. Um, but it was a study led by uh, Leopoldo Sancho from the Complutense University of Madrid. And then the European Space Agency, uh, ESA, uh, announced what was discovered during this study. So uh, they discovered that lichens, uh, which is a plant that can live in, in very different environments, right? Yeah. Uh, they can survive even unprotected in space. So in these experiments, they sent uh, two species of lichen, which are the, and now per, per, pardon my, my Latin, uh, Rhizocarpum geographicum and Xanthoria elegans, um, so these two plants were sealed in a capsule and launched on a Russian uh, Soyuz rocket. And that happened on the 31st of uh, May 2005. And the experiment was aimed at establishing what was the survival capability of lichens that, was, that were exposed to space conditions. And in particular, uh, they wanted to study the damaging effect of various wavelengths of extraterrestrial uh, solar radiation. Uh, and uh, actually, after 16 days in space, these lichens were brought back and they discovered that all exposed lichens showed nearly the same photosynthetic activity after the flight as they had before the flight. And, and they basically were found to be in full health and they, they really did not show any, any weird damage. And what seemed to have them survive in space is their upper cortex, uh, which provides uh, protection uh, against the radiation. And, and also when these plants were in vacuum, uh, they were of course dehydrated. But they were, they, all the plants proved to be uh, able to fully recover their entire metabolic activity after 24, within 24 hours after coming back to Earth. 
And if you want to read the actual publication that, that explains all um, the study, uh, the journal is called Astrobiology and the paper is from Sancho et al, which means and other people, uh, Lichen Survive in Space, uh, results from the 2005 Lichens experiment. And this paper was published in 2007. That That's sounds really cool. cool, yeah. Lichen are actually really special because on the one hand, they grow in the most extreme environments. Like you said, they seem to be okay in space, but we have them, <laughs> for example, on Antarctica, where there are only two other flowering plants or vascular plants on the Antarctic peninsulas, but there are lots of lichen and also a lot in the Arctic and on mountain cliffs and so on. But then they're also really sensitive because they're not like... Um, kind of what people imagine as the normal average plant, a full structure. They just consist of individual cells of algae and fungi that live together in a community. And that means that um, they immediately take up whatever is in their environment. So if there's, for example, radiation or uh, contaminants, pollution or something, that goes immediately into the lichen. So they're very sensitive indicators of environmental changes. And yet, even though they're so sensitive, they can grow in the most extreme places. But, so then that's actually the problem when the reindeers are grazing on them or well, feeding from them. And then all this radioactivity for like when we talked about the Chernobyl problem, mm-hmm. um, they would be eating that up and they yeah. were eating the meat. Well, yeah. I'm a vegetarian, but other people are eating the meat. <laughs> yeah. But if they absorb, would, do you think they could be used as a sort of material to clean? A sort of uh, clean yeah, it could be. I mean, bacteria are already being studied for that. I don't know if. It has been studied for lichen, actually, but yeah. It's like potentially you know, a vacuum cleaner kind of thing. But now, yeah. now that I've read this story, I really want to make space suits made of lichens. Because <laughs> they protect it against the be. solar radiation. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually, it's really cool, you know, like using now natural materials to do... Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, because and, yeah. Uh, plants have had to work with uh, everything that's around them, the environment, so they just came up with their own ways of coping with it. And humans have to find artificial ways that are not necessarily better. Yeah. Cool. Hmm. I, I actually, now that you talked about Antarct- that, that uh, lichens also grow in Antarctica, do you, uh, do you, I mean, what's the biggest difference between, between Arctica and Antarctica in... in uh, Penguins and polar bears. <laughs> we are talking yeah, about... Yeah, that's true. We are talking about plants. Are <laughs> um, conditions uh, for plants very different? I think Antarctica is still harsher because i mean antarctica is a continent with of course like soil and rock and so on really on the south pole whereas the same latitude on the arctic is just ice that seasonally melts and reappears Mm -hmm. and some of the most northern places are for example svalbard but it's quite not quite as high north as some places in Antarctica. Mm-hmm. And I just know that uh, there's only two flowering plants on Antarctica. And that's only on the peninsula, so on these uh, land strips sticking out from the continent, not on the kind of central part of the continent. Yeah, well, one day maybe you will make a field trip there. It would be interesting to see. I would like to track down these two plants. <laughs> <laughs> and study how they... Uh, but but, but there, there is complete ice the whole time in there. Well, so there you, must you, be some place without ice if the plants can grow there, I imagine. Yeah, probably. I don't oh, know. I, I have a colleague there right now. That's, yeah. She actually manages ask, to ask send her, Ask her to get us a plant. Ah, yeah. she's <laughs> in a peninsula, so I, I, will, I will ask her to take a picture. Yeah, she finds yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. She finds one. Yeah, she <laughs> I don't know one. how many there are. 
Cool. Well, uh, Frederica, thank you. This was super interesting. And now, yeah, we, we can all blossom like, like flowers in summer because in winter they don't, they don't grow. Uh, thank you. A quick uh, recap of our links. Uh, Instagram at science underscore basement. Twitter at science basement. And our email is thesciencebasement.helsinki at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody, girls. Thank you so Thanks. much. That was a very fun episode. Yes, okay. it was nice. And see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Happy Friends Day. Happy Friends Day. The science basement.